This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer amon it's dinner time welcome back to light the beacons a lotro podcast that also dabbles in books movies gaming and the lore of j r r r r r r r r r r r tokian this is episode number 57 and i'm your host brag of the lonely mountain the sultan of shield swipe the earl of aggro uh the i forgot to look up another title this week and dwarf of ill repute Broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ atop the beacon of Callanhad. Yes, six of seven in our beacon specific series. Callanhad, the penultimate beacon. Uh, and uh, it's exciting that we're getting to the end of this mini journey within a podcast, within a game, within my reality. And uh, Callanhad actually translates. Uh, Kalan meaning green and had or lad meaning uh, space or turf to the green space or green turf. And as I look around, uh, it is noteworthy that we are not on a mountaintop, but rather on a green grassy rise. Uh, you know, I've described the views from so many beacons now. You know what? I, I don't think we need to go through this. It's another beacon. It's a little farther from Rohan. It's a little closer to Gondor. And uh, besides that, it's an impressive structure, okay? Uh, but, you know, the Beacon of Halifurion calls next week. It's up on the hill. I can see it from here. As a matter of fact, I can see the giant statue of uh, the Tomb of Isildur uh, standing out on the mountainside. Um, so that will be exciting when we move on to that. But for now, this is Callanhad, uh, you know, which is uh, most famous for getting confused with the name of a ranger from... Uh, you know, from even dim. So uh, that's about it for its claim to fame. Uh, we had a lone beacon out a few weeks ago, but we are well overdue for a full-on heavy metal jacket episode. So glad to be back in the saddle, ready to rock and roll, guns a-blazing, and a whole bunch of other cliches. And in honor of the great Gene Wilder, I will say we have so much time and so little to do. Wait, stop that. Reverse it. Anywho... Let's move on. That brings us to Elanok as usual. We will first deal with a lot of CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last time out, we offended all those who labored so hard to bring us the wonderful episode of Middle-Earth Lore 3. And also, hopefully, we offended some elves and maybe a lore-breaking dwarf named Dr. Pepper. And to all of those that were offended, I offer a very solemn and heartfelt sorry. Also, some of you who are really paying attention may have caught that I announced the wrong beacon in the last episode and had to be fixed in my post-edit, my extensive post-edit process. You know how much I do of that. Uh, anyway, it was a pretty slick edit, so brownie points to you if you happen to catch that. You have a finely tuned ear, clearly. Uh, viewer comments. Uh, agree to disagree. iTunes reviews. Yes, we have iTunes reviews. <sighs> And the fake crowd goes wild. <sighs> They're in world chat. <sighs> okay. Uh, so uh, last week, uh, I took advantage of um, a recommendation. Uh, actually, it came by way of uh, Draculetta to take advantage of a uh, an app. Oh, gosh, what's the name of it now? Can't remember. Uh, it's called, like, Collect Your Podcast Feedback dot app or something like that can't remember it off the top of my head but if you need it i can forward you the link and what it does is it goes out and it scans all the different uh, international editions of itunes 
for uh, reviews that have been left from other countries. And I was clued into the fact that I might actually have reviews from other countries uh, from one of the reviews that follows, uh, which I will mention last. And thanks to you. So we actually have, oh my gosh, it's like five or six reviews that came in uh, that were collected dating way back to December 23rd of 2014. Uh, in iTunes by Bay Weir from the UK. So this is so cool to see interview, uh, reviews coming back from other countries like this. Uh, the title is Geek Out, and I will geek out Bay Weir, and I'll, I'll apologize to all those folks who left me reviews so long ago uh, that I never was able to see until this moment and share with you. A great show with a good mix of useful information, news, banner, and ideas to get the most out of your Lotro playing. The host is an experienced player as well as Tokian fan, and I really enjoy following his antics and unashamedly geeky love for the Tokian universe. Ha, <laughs> it shows, does it? In book, film, and game form, which often makes him erupt into spontaneous, spontaneous dwarvish poetry. Yes, I once knew an elf from Nantucket. Uh, this podcast will definitely lighten up your grinds, Best feature, ideas that inspire you to start new projects and deeds you hadn't thought of. And uh, thank you for that feedback. I will try to include a little more of that um, in the near future, which I have not been doing as much of of lately. Great show, good humor, says Dime78 from the UK on November 6th of 2014. Bragg uses his own experience in game to chat to us. The more I listen, the more I'm reminded of when I used to play this game. So Dime78, I hope maybe you've come back. Excellent Lotro podcast, says Thadiglin of Elendelmere from USA uh, uh, on November 4th, 2014. And I've probably read that one before since it's from the USA. Uh, highly entertaining, says Cullion from Australia. Eh, put another shrimp on the barbie, mate. Uh, sorry, that's a Dumb and Dumber reference. A great new addition to the Lotro community. And by the way, if I'm dumb, Grime is dumber. A great new addition to the Lotro community, highly entertaining, great to listen to while chasing down those deeds. Uh, Ethel Rose, uh, formerly of Lotro Player News uh, from the UK on July 16, 2014. Didn't even know he was a listener. Bragg manages to effectively blend a combination of creative humor, helpful info, and serious critique that makes this podcast a must-listen, watch, smell, taste, etc. out there for all the viewers and for any Lotro player. Thank you, Ethelros. Hope you're still playing Lotro, and it would be good to hear from you again. Uh, the community misses you. And Fruit and Juice from Canada on September 2nd, 2016, who alerted me that I might have some international reviews. Uh, the most entertaining Lotro podcast. Thank you so much. Bragg knows his Lotro and his craft as a solo podcaster. Entertaining to the point and breaking up the podcast with the beacons is a great touch. If I had one complaint, it would be that his commercial during a podcast have a definite creep-centered focus. All Phil Gashin's diner and Mordor doors and windows. Where are the Rivendell computers and Arid Luim Loomworks ads? Uh, Fruit of the Loom works in Arid Loom, I guess. Seriously, check it out. If you are a Lotro fan or curious about the game, it's worth it. Uh, it's wonderful to hear uh, so many feedback, some such feedback coming from uh, across the other side of the pond and from our neighbors in the north. Thank you so much for that. So uh, very much appreciated. I will use that application going forward to check and see if uh, any others. But if you do shoot me a twit, or a Facebook post to let me know that they are out there. That would be very helpful, as Fruin Juice did. And let's check the leaderboard. Fruin Juice does have the latest Lotro podcast review. And so he will be uh, sitting on our leaderboard going forward. Very excited to uh, until someone else leaves a review and knocks him off. So thank you for that. I uh, also had a comment that was sent in uh, as an email uh, to braggsonofballon at gmail.com. says... Hopefully this message is not viewed by Grima. Actually, Grima does, I think, go through my mail when I'm not paying attention. Uh, he's got his grimy little paws and everything. Quick note on Podcast 55. I have concerns that Grima may be getting a dark grip on you. You're beginning to sound like him and having darker conversations than usual. <laughs> uh, don't get pulled to the dark side. Let the beacons and dwarven ale light your way. Uh, and all seriousness, it's been fun listening to your podcast. Your comedy insightfulness is great. It's fun to hear your progress in Clash and with your captain. He's at the same town hall level and similar progress on his captain, working to get his uh, legendary legacies to level 50, tier 59. Thanks for noting the new Minotaur dailies. I didn't know they were there, and I, I can see how some people might have missed those. 
Hope you have a great week in gaming and in family from Flossen. Thank you, Flossen, fan of the show. Very much appreciate it. Uh, Podcast 55 was You Get an Eagle and You Get an Eagle. I don't remember what I did that was so dark. Oh, I was talking about Mordor. Maybe that's why I was in a dark mood. But uh, appreciate the feedback one and all. Uh, So let's move on to Community Spotlight. I did want to highlight this week that a note came out from the Department of Strategery, uh, which is a great Lotro site that's been out there for several years. And he says, After a long and winding journey, it is with a heavy heart that I announce the closure of Department of Strategery. In the coming weeks, the site will disappear, but an archive will be available indefinitely at departmentofstrategery.wordpress.com. All good things must come to an end. And uh, I'm paraphrasing now from his post. After 137 posts sporadically published in the past five years, I'm finally calling it quits. Thank you to all the commenters, linkers, subscribers, and visitors who took the time and shape what this site became. Thank you to all the friends I've met along the way, and I hope to meet you all along on the next journey. So uh, that came from the Department of Strategery, and I would like to say that uh, uh, this has been a wonderful site with a lot of great uh, posts, very insightful, very informative, that I have followed over the last couple of years. So I want to add my own personal thanks for your contribution to the community. It's always sad to see when a, when a pillar of the Lotro community comes and goes, but, um, you know, it is kismet. We, uh, we never know how many days are, are allotted to us on this Middle Earth, and sometimes it's better to move on than to fade away, a lesson maybe the elves could take. Uh, so thanks for the Department of Strategery for all your contributions. And, hey, come back sometime. Say hello. Love to hear from you. Uh, Forums Insider, there's been a lot of teeth gnashing regarding the new update notes. Uh, some positive reviews, but a lot of great sassy molassy head for the fallout shelters calling back to uh, casual stroll to mortar days. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, right now for the agenda in this week's action-packed podcast, we're going to, as always, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We'll get moving right on to Drunk Middle-Earth Lore, Episode 4. Yes, that's right. You didn't, never thought it would come this early, did you? And we're going to review highlights from the long-awaited producer's letter and Bull Roar release notes. Uh, lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will pad out our runtime with useless and boring filler material. But given all that stuff we got to get to, I think it's move on to our third beacon, Nardal. Okay, let's talk about what we've been doing in other games, first of all. Uh, yes, I'm still dittering around with Pokemon Go, sharing that uh, as kind of a fun thing to do, neck and neck with one of the, uh, of the uh, mini dwarfs in the house. Um, I still don't go to gyms or do any fighting yet, so haven't really learned how to do that part. Still just collecting, which has been fine. And, uh, you know, I just mess about with it here and there, not too serious. I think I'm level 20 at this point. And I did notice as you go up in levels, it seems to open up a broader uh, selection of uh, potential finds on your journeys. The other thing that I found interesting about the game that I've noticed over the last few weeks is the impact of geography, actually, on the selection of things that you find. So if you stick to the same areas, you'll find the same types of Pokemon. But if you go further afield, and uh, my travels took me down to the beachfronts uh, near where I live recently, uh, I found a lot of water-based Pokemon down there that I don't normally see around my house. And recently, when I did a trip out to Nevada and was out in the arid deserts, I found a lot of earth, uh, earth-based earth Pokemon, which I don't normally see. So um, I think that's fascinating that they're reflecting the terrain in the range of uh, uh, Pokemon that you can potentially find. And, uh, you know, certainly keep that in mind if you're a Pokemon goer. Uh, try to see some different regions and uh, hopefully see some... Um, get a broader selection of potential recruits. So interesting fact there. And I get, I'm sure this has been discovered months ago, and if it had been on the net actually researching it, I would have discovered it. But I uh, thought it was interesting when I uh, came upon it myself. Uh, DDO, NERP, I have no interest in this game at all right now. Uh, I would need to research how to transition out of the harbor and do something different, you know, where to go and what to do at level 5. 
uh, to want to get reinvolved there really at all. Um, you know, I felt like I was stuck for a while and I wasn't really discovering anything new. I'm sure there is new stuff out there, but you know, maybe it's gated behind buying quest packs. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I've had other things to occupy me, so I really haven't missed it lately. Also have not played Secret World or Marvel Heroes recently. In Clash of Clans, I've been uh, experimenting with a new attack lineup that seems to be working pretty well. Um, so when I'm trying to save uh, Elixir, you know, when I'm trying to save gold, I can spend Elixir on troops. But when I'm trying to save Elixir, I usually try to fill up my troops for attacks using Dark Elixir. So I go with a combination of uh, four Earthquake Potions, which will take down any grouping of walls. Uh, one Healing Potion, one Rage Potion, and one Poison Potion to counter... Um, uh, clan castle um, rejoinders or counterattacks, and uh, to to that I add uh, two golems, six barbarians, uh, two witches, and ten minions. So that's all dark minions, and that's the uh, dark uh, dark elixir attack um, funded troops that uh, kind of form the basis of the attack grouping. And then I mix in a couple with regular elixir, including. Uh, four giants to add a little bit more um, defense and uh, an attack on um, on uh, defensive emplacements. Four wizards for a little bit more firepower from range. Uh, four wall breakers in case my uh, four earthquake potions aren't generally enough to get you to the center of where you're going. So I usually use the wall breakers on the outer wall and then place the earthquake potions on the, the middle and inner walls. Uh, five goblins to help clean up some resources, five warriors just to set off traps, and 10 to 15 archers to head in and clean up when everybody else is done. So that's my latest, um, you know, my latest mix. And I find when I use the same mix all the time, I get bored after a while. So it's good to fun to try some different things and some different uh, lineups. Um, Star Trek Online. I actually collected a new ship. So I think I reported last time out that I made... Level 20, I think, which is Lieutenant Commander or something like that. And I was assigned a new ship, so I reported to Earth Space Dock and looked at the options available and had no idea <laughs> what to get. Um, so, I mean, it's completely random. It looks like most of the good ships are worth... Um, you need some kind of uh, currency, which I haven't collected uh, to get. Um, so there were a number of kind of basic cruisers available to me, and I... I my primary officer is a science officer, so I selected a, I think it's called a light science cruiser. Um, you know, I have kind of a classic Star Trek, you know, original um, cruiser class. You know, looks just like NCC-1701 as my base ship, and I kind of like flying around in that. So now I have to decide whether to try to equip this light science cruiser to see how it's different. You know, I, I probably have enough trouble outfitting the one ship I have to make it decent. So, you know, I don't play the game enough to equip multiple ships. And I'm not really sure if I did, if it would be better than the one I have. So <laughs> so I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do with this new ship yet. But uh, I guess I can start plugging some components into it that, uh, you know, aren't good enough to upgrade my, my primary ship and kind of see what happens with it. Um... South Park, The Stick of Truth, I completed. I'll talk to you a little about that in a little bit. Uh, I played, uh, as is my want recently, after getting on from a, a longer-term game like that, I've played some shorter games that I've picked up in humble, humble Bundles. So I played a game called Reveal the Deep, a game called Journey of the Roach, both smaller games, again, that I'll talk to you later. And I have started a new kind of more epic uh, game that's going to consume a lot of my time, I assume, over the next few months. And I'll talk about that in a little bit, too. Uh, but let's get on to Lotro. So what have I been doing in Lotro? Bragg has been knocking around the Farmer's Fair, and having completed most of the deeds in that uh, festival previously, I've basically been going back and forth between Sanson's Farm and, um, and uh, Farmer Maggots uh, in Bamferlong in order to do the Mushroom Hunt and the Egg Hunt. And uh, I found that to be probably the most lucrative uh, use of time anyway in scooping up Farmer's Fair tokens between those two. Uh, you know, if you, if you actually win the egg contest, which, you know, depending on the crowd, I, I maybe do 50% of the time, you get 10 tokens out of that, plus you get token for every egg that you pick up, plus you can get extra tokens for picking up uh, fancy eggs. And basically the mushrooms... Um, you know, similar type thing. You get uh, tokens for every mushroom you pick up, 
bonus tokens for the festival, the festive ones, and uh, you know tokens for winning the mushroom hunt. And I have a slightly better, I think, uh, uh, success rate on the mushroom hunt. So basically, uh, I log in, I switch between those two, I get my tokens. It wasn't long before I had uh, all I needed to get the horse from that festival. And I can't even remember if I got anything else. Um, I think the fountain emote was back from the spring. So I didn't see anything new that I was terribly excited about. Uh, but I did save up a, jump, a bunch of farmer fair tokens for next year. Uh, brag through the use of uh, featured instances. Got a, a, bright, a bright, shiny new jewelry piece recently. And uh, stocking that with supreme essences of morale, which are starting to eat into my fortune. Um, he needs one more featured instance piece, uh, to get the four set bonus, uh, which, you know, probably would only have a marginal status improvement over the, the three or four slot armor piece I have now, but, uh, it, it would give me a plus 20% warrior's heart morale boost as part of the set bonus. So it's probably worth getting, uh, his overall morale is almost at 40 K. He's just going to peak above it probably sometime in the next week. Uh, which is starting to feel a little sturdier. I might not be dismissed out of hand for a Tier 2 challenge uh, for something like Doma Stars or Silent Street, although most people are still looking for tanks that are closer to 50k. Uh, although with a, cappy, with a cappy bonus and a few other things, I might get close to that, uh, probably mid-40s, I would bet. Uh, I've completed all the After Battle of Minas Tirith quests, which I talked about previously. Uh, and if you combine that with the the quests that take you uh, from Foreign Orient, the Riders 4 quest lines, as well as the instance cluster progression, that is the quests that go in between, or before, in between the Battle of the Black Serpent and Silent Street and onward to the Quays of Harland. Uh, there's little mini quests in between which take you around the Pelennor fields uh, between each of the events that take place in those instances. And along with the epic story, of course. So note that there's multiple storylines here that you can pursue through the different phases of the Pelennor fields that are artfully woven there. And I haven't done all of them on any other character outside of my main. I've, I've finished, you know, some, you know, almost all uh, through the epic, of course, based on the rewards that you get there. Uh, but... Uh, um, but have not done all four of those on any other character. I've, I've dappled here and there. Um, probably the most fun I've had over the last couple of weeks is doing a couple of Quays runs. I find that uh, even on Tier 1 to be kind of a fun challenge. It's not, it's not too hard. It's not, too, it's not so easy. You have to pay attention. Uh, definitely the Muma kill can stomp and kill you if you're not paying attention as a tank. Um, and uh, some of the Silent Street runs I've done with other characters too. Uh, so Bragg has his Guardian's Belt fully leveled to Tier 59 on uh, all, all of his legs. And my one-handed axe leg legacies are about level 49 or so. So maybe another week or two of uh, grinding scrolls from empowerment through the featured instance to get that up to max. And that will be nice to have those two things taken care of, at least for now, till update 19 hits, I'm sure. Uh, I did imbue uh, a first stage 105 two-hander just recently, um, just to just to have, uh, you know, uh, it is fun to break out a two-hander every now and then and become a a red line DPS machine guard. Um, I find with the bleeds and with the AOE skills you get out of the one-handed axe, it's it's almost as good. You know, the problem with the two-hander is that. Uh, if you break that out, you you basically can't equip your shield. So now that my my guardian's belt has a few shield skill legacies on it, I think I either have two or three shield skill legacies. You know, those are big damage boosts for me to use now out of my other skills. You know, the things that you grind your tiers to 59 in your legendary item become kind of overpowered versus the other skills on your bar. So if I put down my shield, all of a sudden I can't use three of those three of those skills that I have uh, tiered to 59 using my LIs. And, you know, I'm not really sure if my DPS is going to get that much of a boost, you know, unless you grind another belt. That's a two-handed, you know, focused belt that focuses on skills, you know, outside of your shield. So, hmm, I'll have to see if I want to do that. Maybe at some point I will. We'll see, but I've got enough minstrel allies or alt allies to grind for now. My minstrel is feeling pretty solid. Um, 
but it's not been tested much in instances to healing yet as far as advanced stuff. Just the featured instances, no big deal. You don't really even have to heal in those mostly. Um, I did finally upgrade her second age 105 uh, uh, one-handed weapon to an imbued first age 105, and I'm leveling it. So um, got the legacies I want, and it uh, it's basically surpassed the second age 105 at this point, so I... Uh, I decon the old one, or actually, you can't decon the old one since it was imbued. But, but leveling that now, so uh, another another legendary item upgraded. My Cappy, uh, the fashionable. I think I mentioned previously he's got his Isengard OB reset armor, which most people will call for if they want to get you involved in a tier two silent streets run. I did actually do a tier two silent streets run with my Cappy uh, over the last two weeks. It was a lot of fun. We got by the first boss. <coughs> Excuse me. It was challenging, but uh, but not a problem. Got through the two side bosses. Got to the final encounter. Gave that a good three or four runs as we perfected our strategy. We had a strong tank, a good healer. One or two of the DPS classes were a little light in armor um, and uh, morale, which came into play um, as we got fairly well along. They got uh, one-shotted at one point. And once uh, members of your party are down, you start to run low on reses, it becomes difficult. So I would say Tier 2, uh, our last run was our best run. We gave it a good shot. We came uh, very close to killing the two side bosses that come out um, before we lost that one. Um, but it was fun. I learned a ton as far as strategy and positioning for doing that moving forward. And uh, have confidence that with the right group, should be able to complete that no problem on my cappy at some point. So um, that was a lot of fun. My lore master has just been doing box runs. He's got a couple jewelry pieces. Actually, I noticed recently that he never finished off the, um, not the current uh, epic volume, but the one prior to it, the one that takes you from, uh, from Eastern Gondor through Southern Athelion and into the culverts in Asgiliath. So I went back and finished that up because I realized at the end of that book, you get a Crystal of Remembrance. Um, which gives you an extra tier on your legendary item, uh, an extra legacy on your legendary item to bump it up to seven. So those are valuable. I like to have that on all my tunes I'm serious about raiding with. And, uh, you know, basically, unless you get them on a Hobbit present, uh, they're pretty rare drops in game. So it's nice to have the one that you can get through the epic story to cover at least one of your legendary items as you move through. Uh, so be sure you finish those, um, those epics in the culverts. Uh, in order to get that crystal of remembrance and actually a nice a nice bracelet too at the end of that storyline with uh, three slots for essences as well. So that's positive. Um, my Berg has uh, is still waiting is basically waiting on finishing the Slayer deeds in Eastern Gondor in order to get the last class trait point for that area. Uh, we'll be slow with the Berg, which is why I haven't worked on it recently. My Hunter is at the point in the epic story to do the two Minas Tirith um, big battles. So I've been looking out for groups to call for those to get through that so I don't have to do them solo. Uh, my Bjorning actually jumped up four levels this past week. He wins the leveling crown up to 95. He finished Middlemead and moved on to Alberg, Fenmarch, and the Beacon Watch in Western Rohan and uh, got the class trait point at the end of uh, that storyline, and now is on to the Broaddakers. He's still in hit bolt armor, and he's starting to feel a little bit squishy uh, at level 95, still in hit bolt armor. But you know what? There are no medium armor might drops available um, you know, from the quest rewards that you would normally get that would be a big upgrade. So I've just stuck with the might stuff I have from hit bolt for now. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll probably have to try to muscle through that until I can get some upgrades uh, from the skirm camps. I think it is level 95 where those become available, so I could probably take a look at it now. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, I also ran school and library level runs, uh, level 95 runs on my Bjorning this past week. And the reason I did that is because someone called for it. It was the right level. And I realized I hadn't done these on my Bjorning. Sometimes you, you skip through the, you know, skip through leveling. You, do, you don't do some of these older instances. And uh, when you do a full run of school and library, you get a bunch of good turbine points from, from generating, from running through those. And it's a good time if you haven't done them before. So 
uh, you know, always take a look out for some of the instances you might not have run uh, as you raced to end cap. And uh, going through and doing those, especially the scalable ones, can bring you some good TP. My champ is still level 52 and uh, finished all the forgotten treasury deeds in Moria and has just started some waterworks quests. My RK and Warden have been sitting idle. I have one extra character to talk about this week, and that is Laurelin Bragg. Now, why would I have a brag on Laurelin? Well, as some of you may know, over the last couple weeks, the Harnkegger Games were held, uh, one of the most organized and uh, large-scale um, internal game, internal player-run events in Lotro that I'm aware of, uh, with a full slate of Olympic events. I think they have like 10 or 12 events they run through over the course of two weeks at least. Um, very fun, very cool stuff, very well orchestrated, even with nice prizes, supported by Turbine as well, uh, Mithril Coin, Turbine Points, in-game gold, a bunch of other stuff. So why did I create a, a brag on Laurelin? Well, uh, I signed up for the Poetry Slam. When I saw that there was a contest, a contest at the end of the Poetry Slam for original works, you know that were related to Middle Earth, I said, "Hey, I wrote one last year, uh, Entis Dreams, um, a Hasty Lament, or something. I forget what the title is now, but uh, but anyway, I had a prefab poem, so I thought I'd go and read it to in game and see how you know share that with the uh, community." And uh, so I had to level up a tune, basically level 10 in Laurelin, which I didn't have before. Hadn't gone through the Dwarven intro in a while. And one thing I did want to know as I'm going through the Dwarven intro for the first time in a while is that when you're in Freren's Court, right near the end of the prologue, um, there's a dwarf next to, uh, next to the expedition leader who basically says, hey, you look tired. Do you want to take a nap? And he points to a sleeping bag right next to him. And the sleeping bag is basically the key for a quest. It's called Signs and Portents, uh, Galadriel's Dream. And so I don't remember this from the last time I did this. Um, and it may be because it's been so long. So I know that this was added to the game fairly recently because in your dreams, you see Galadriel and she shows you snippets of things to come from Angmar, Moria, so Shadows of Angmar, Moria, so the second volume, and Rohan. Uh, volume 3. Nothing yet from book 4, although I could see the devs going back and adding something there. And, uh, you know, it's a glance forward. So this was definitely something that was added after book 3, uh, after Rohan came out. And uh, even if I ran through the intro with a dwarf since then, I might just might not have noticed that quest. So it's a fun quest that kind of gives you a, a glance ahead at what's going on. Uh, if you haven't seen that before, you know you could probably get to it with a you know couple minutes of running around and leveling your guy up through, you know the first few levels and running over to Farron's Court to access that quest and check it out. So uh, let's talk about the Harnkegger Games experience. So I got there early the day of the Poetry Slam and went and saw the fence running uh, competition for a few minutes, which was kind of fun. There were people that were basically, you know, looked like Legolas running across dwarves' heads around the uh, around the fence. They were so nimble and did it so quickly. And then there were people that couldn't walk to the end of the, uh, you know, the end of the fence without falling off, uh, you know, two or three feet. So it was a wide range of experiences there. But it was fun watching everyone try. The crowd was very supportive and very RP-like in their commentary, uh, which is appropriate since uh, Laurelin is the role-playing designated uh, international server. Uh, then we retired to uh, the field in Bree, uh, across from the prison, and we held the Poetry Slam. I think there were maybe 10 entrants. Uh, each had about three minutes. Uh, so I got up. In preparation for this, I went out. I knew there was an app that did this. I'd never used it before. Uh, I think it's called Lyrical. Uh, I found it on a, out on the Lotro Interfaces website. Uh, which is one of the plugins that you can put in the game. And the Lyrical website allows you to preload dialogue that you can then uh, release into your current chat channel by pressing the space bar, uh, which is a huge benefit for the Poetry Slam. Otherwise, I would have you know, had side-by-side -side windows cut and pasting and putting them over there, and it would have been very choppy. So I'm glad I found the plugin and uh, practiced with it once or twice before doing the Poetry Slam. I was able to add a couple emotes and gestures in between some of my 
some of my uh, examples and the Poetry Slam itself as well as all the Honkeger events were recorded and put out on YouTube if you want to go find them. Uh, I think my poem was very well received. I did not finish in the top three prizes, um, but I, I did hear a couple people mention my poem specifically after the winners were announced as one that was maybe deserving of attention. So I do appreciate those that expressed support. And I think I learned a, a lesson. It seemed like, um, you know, my poem is a bit obscure. It's a bit dark and deep. And uh, for this kind of event, I think the things that play more broad, uh, you know, uh, play well to that kind of audience are a bit, uh, a bit more accessible. So if I do join the Poetry Slam next year, I might try to create an entry that's a bit more crowd-pleasing and doesn't take quite so much, um, quite so much thought and uh, and uh, you know contemplation to appreciate fully, because uh, it doesn't lend itself to that kind of event in in my opinion, based on my experiences. But it was still a great time, and there were a couple people that uh, definitely sent me private tells uh, appreciating the the poem. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I saw Pineleaf there. I saw a couple other folks uh, that I that I recognized uh, from the community, and uh, great event. So try to get to it next year if you haven't tried it in the past. Uh, in other Tokian news, I have been um, moving forward slowly with uh, some some uh, a chapter from Unfinished Tokian's Unfinished Tales, and basically I've been reading the tale of Turgon's journey to and eventual admittance to the hidden city of Gondolin. And the Hidden City of Gondolin is one of my favorite concepts uh, and areas in all of the Silmarillion. It's just got kind of a, a certain majesty to it, you know, a certain, you know, it's got that uh, kind of secret, secretive and, um, you know, august kind of uh, je ne sais quoi about it. I don't even know how to describe it. It's always been one of the most fascinating areas of, middle, of early, you know, first age, second age, Middle Earth to me. And uh, so I enjoyed reading the story. It describes the the seven gates um, that you have to go through in order to penetrate into the interior city. Each of them described in detail, uh, you know, the components of it, how it was constructed, the accompanying guards, their outfits, and um, and how they were passed one by one. And uh, you know, I think uh, you know, I just once again appreciating the wonderful prose of Tolkien and his descriptions and uh, his ability to fully realize a mythical space and breathe life into it. I think he clearly had great plans for Gondolin, uh, for writing more about its history and about its eventual sacking and, and uh, you know, the culture and the, and the people that, uh, that grew up there in their, their hidden enclave um, that you know, were perhaps never fully realized. But it's, uh, it, was, uh, it was a fun chapter in Unfinished Tales, and I'll be moving on from there and keeping you guys posted on what I encounter going forward. So that is quite enough of a beacon. Let us take a break so I can wet my dwarven whistle, and we will move on to Aralas. Okay, we're in Aralas, and I think we just have to, I've decided, bite the bullet and get this over with. I know we just did Drunk Middle-Earth Lore Chapter 3 last episode, but Junk Middle-Earth Lore Chapter 4 deals with an elven stronghold we called, or I call, Live in Hell. And uh, I think instead of waiting, it's better to just rip the Band-Aid off and get right to it. I'm not even sure I can drink to celebrate this, so we're just going to move forward with it. Here we go. Drunk Middle-Earth Lore, Chapter 4, Live in Hell. Ready? Starting the video in 3, 2, 1, go. Uh, Middle Earth is the breeding ground for fantastical adventures. Uh, this is the story of Middle Earth. Uh, <laughs> I don't wanna. In the first of Middle Earth, there was. No, 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 no. Forget it. Not. Not 
Not gonna do it. Can't can't do it. Can't do it. Moving on. I need something else for this beacon. All right, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about any something else. A- anything else. Games that I played recently. Okay. So here we are. South Park the Stick of Truth. Um, I think I gave you guys a review of it previously. And uh, I'll sum it up to say this. Is the gameplay earth shattering? No. It can actually be challenging in a way, in a turn-based strategy kind of way. Uh, really, the most fun about the combat is the the different skills that it gives you to try to succeed are funny. Um, at least I think they're funny. They're also offensive, just so that you know, just like South Park is. If you're offended easily, you don't want to watch South Park. Uh, if you have a thick skin and uh, you, you like, uh, you know, the how they poke fun at all these, uh, you know, traditional... Uh, bastions of PCness around the world, and you're gonna love it. Okay, um, the ending was funny. <laughs> it was offensive. Uh, my kids are never playing it until they're old enough to uh, buy the game for themselves. Uh, and uh, you know, overall, I'd say it was it was uh, you know, it's not the kind of game where I needed to go back and clean out all the quests I didn't find around the map. Uh, you know, you're able to follow the story and do pretty well and. And figure things out. And once you've experienced, uh, you know, most of the inside jokes in the game, it did have some. Uh, it did have its moments. So I was glad I played it. I got it for a good price. It was entertaining. It was a nice sorbet to cleanse the palate after whatever I was doing previously before that. And if you like South Park, the show, uh, you will like the Stick of Truth. Uh, go ahead and give it a try. Uh, next, after I move on to a game, and Stick of Truth didn't take that many hours to play. I can't remember exactly. I would guess maybe 20, something like that. Um, you know, there was a fair amount to it that you needed to get through. But after playing a longer game like that, I do like to go back and try to try some of these smaller independent games that I've scooped up through Humble Bundles that are clogging up my queue. So I went ahead and uh, played a game called Reveal the Deep. Um which, uh, you know, is a short independent adventure. Basically, I finished it, I think it was either, I think it was two nights I played in a row, um, you know, a couple hours of gameplay. And basically, you awake in a, um, in a diving suit on a wreck at the bottom of the ocean, and, you know, no other backstory. You just start. You start exploring the sunken ship, and as you explore, you find objects, and as you interact with the objects, uh, the reality around you changes, and you see what happened on the ship prior to its sinking. Uh, you see views of what the what the rooms were like before you, um, you know, before the ship sunk, or events that happened, or notes from people uh, that were left that kind of tell a story. And as you uh, as you find your way around the ship, you 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 discover that there are some some nasty things on the ship, and you learn the origin of where they came from. And uh, how your character, um, you know, is related to the events on the ship, uh, you know, which has a couple, um, couple spoiler surprises. I won't, I won't go into. But I did want to say it's, it's, it's uh, kind of, it's got some mini puzzles. Basically, are the challenge, but basically, basically, it's mostly just an exploration game, and uh, with some mini puzzles, and uh, you know, basically, an experience to tell a story. And from that perspective, and given how much time it takes to play, I found it well worth it. Um, you know, I, I probably bought it for, you know, a buck, or maybe a couple bucks, I can't remember. Uh, but it was interesting. You know, the graphics weren't that fancy, but it was inventive, it was creative, um, had a nice kind of eerie soundtrack to it. And uh, the only gripe I have is that uh, I got to the very end of the game and I got stuck in a position I couldn't get out of, uh, which I wrote a bug about to the developer uh, on the Steam forum. And, uh, you know, basically I had the option of replaying the whole level just to do the one last step to get to the final. And I elected just to watch it, someone else do it on YouTube. Uh, it was easier than going back through the whole level um, because of the area that I got stuck in. And, uh, you know, I thought the ending was a little tiny bit ambiguous, which, you know, engendered some conversation on the game on Steam, which is good. And uh, but uh, they probably, you know, probably would have been more satisfying if they'd been just slightly more um, explicit about it. Next, Journey of a Roach is another game I picked up on a Steam sale and probably got for $2. And I saw people that spent 15 that felt like it was too short. And I'd probably agree with that. I never would have spent 15 bucks on this game. 
But for two or three bucks or whatever I paid, it was a fun little different kind of a game. It had a unique animation style to it that was different than any game I'd seen. Uh, it's got a nice mechanic where uh, you can crawl basically. The screen rotates with you as you, as you crawl up walls and ceilings, uh, which leads to some interesting intricacies in the... Uh, in the maze, the maze-like uh, settings where you can, where you can explore. Um, so that was interesting. And um, the only gripe I have about the game is this. So basically, it's a puzzle game. You you're introduced to an area. You interact with some characters. They give you some very entertaining dialogue because it's all explained in kind of bug language. You hear them talking, and then you see little thought bubbles that explain what they want or what they did. Um, so it's very cleverly done from that perspective. Enjoyed that very much. Um, but then you have to walk around and find objects and interact with the objects and move them or uh, combine them or place them in different areas in order to kind of resolve a situation and move on to the next area of the puzzle. And the majority of them were very simple uh, or, you know, at a decent level of challenge where if you, uh, you know, experimented a little bit, you were able to move on. But there were a couple puzzles later in the game where um, they were just not intuitive. And I know if I sat there for like an hour and tried every combination of touching everything to anything, I could have figured it out. But, um, you know, that's not how I want to spend my time gaming. So after a reasonable amount of time when I realized I wasn't going to get, uh, you know, get the solution without, you know, a lot of dumb luck, I went out and would, uh, you know, check a walkthrough on the web and cheat, basically, uh, to get a clue or a hint for the next step. And in most cases, when I did look at that hint, I said, you know what? I could have played another hour and not gotten that. It wouldn't have been... It's just... It's not intuitive enough to, uh, you know, lend itself to being discovered naturally by the player. And I think that's a, a fault in the game design. So there, it's not all the puzzles. It's maybe just two or three puzzles where there were a couple steps where I would have said I probably never would have tried that if I hadn't seen the walkthrough. Um, so, you know, with that, I'm basically saving my gaming time and my sanity for other uses. So I don't feel guilty about that at all. But I did get through Journey of a Roach. It was cute. It was fun. It was only a couple hours of gameplay, which is exactly what I was looking for. I think I finished it again in, you know, maybe three or four nights play. And uh, I was able to move on. So speaking of moving on, what is next on the board for uh, Bragg outside of Lotro? And I figured out with all this discussion of uh, a possible expansion in Lotro coming up for Mordor next year, now is the time to refresh my lore around that area. And I have started to play Shadow of Mordor. So uh, I am basically into the prologue, have completed one or two of the early quests, and uh, getting a feel for the mechanics of the game. I can already tell I'm going to enjoy it. Um, it is basically Assassin's Creed and Mordor, as I'm sure most of you have heard by now that we're interested. Uh, but it has a couple interesting wrinkles to it, and uh, I certainly already enjoyed uh, the nemesis mechanic where I met an orc who was able to subdue me earlier, and he uh, he basically, you know, from the fame that brought him, was able to advance and, you know, get harder armor and become stronger and basically recognized me when he saw me or, you know, an orc that I ran away from recognized me when I saw him. I, I think that's a, a real neat, uh, you know, advancement in the gaming technology. So I think I'll be enjoying that. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Shadow of Mordor until I get further into the gameplay, but I will provide you guys some updates as I progress with it. I know most of you have played it about a year and a half ago now or so, but, you know, like I said, I know my price point. I've got plenty of games I can play, uh, you know, when a game comes out at 60 bucks, I can wait. Uh, this is the wisdom I have finally come to from a gaming perspective. So, that is enough an air alas. Sorry about the failed attempt on Drunk Middle Earth lore, but my heart wasn't in it. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. All you viewers out there, and you know you're not viewers. Let's go to Min Rimon. And now it's time for the original word from our sponsor segment at Min Rimon. Some of you may have heard about the fabulous premium housing, which is coming to Lotro out on the Bull Roar server. And here to describe it to us is our new sponsor, Take It Away, Robin. 
Yes, welcome to Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. This is your host, Robin Leach. In this week's episode, we're going to show you how the VIPs live it up in their fabulous Bay of Belfalas, in their extravagant premium cliffside homes and private islands. From cruising off the coast in their solid mithril corsair yachts, to dining with the elite swan knights in their exclusive keep. We'll show you how the lifetime subscribers fritter away their monthly stipends from their turbine trust funds. By day, they cruise the ultra-chic shops of Layla in Edelhan Drive, and by night they frequent wild parties in the secret enclaves of the Avorum. All this and more in this week's episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. This has been Robin Leach. <clears throat> yeah, I know, I gotta work on that accent. Okay, so the sixth beacon of Callanhad. Let's get to the primary. We do have news. We've got actual Lotro news for all of you who stuck it out through all this garbage. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, start out by reading to you the producer's letter, which came from uh, Severlin. Severlin. I'll call him Severlin because it rhymes with Merlin. And uh, here it is. And yes, it's paraphrased in a couple places you may recognize. Greetings. I am Severlin, executive producer for Lord of the Rings Online, and you're not. I just wanted to take the time to update you on our plans for the coming months. Aside from taking vacation, I have been working on Lotro for some time now, but this is my first formal producer's letter. Yeah, we know. And so this is an introduction to some of you. I have taken over the reins for Vivian, who has moved to a different project where she ignores customers and provides minimal communications. I am serving as executive producer for both Lord of the Rings Online and Dungeons and Dragons Online, which means I don't have time for any crap. Prior to my place with Lotro, I served as the executive producer for Dungeons and Dragons and as executive producer of Asheron's Call before that, and you can all see how well those games are doing now. I've been working in the games industry for almost 10 years, mostly as a janitorial engineer. I first read the Lord of the Rings trilogy over 30 years ago, and so don't really remember any of it. But I've loved the story and the lore, from reading through The Hobbit to exploring the mythos in the Silmarillion. I have been a fan of Tolkien for quite some time. We are currently hard at work on Update 19, titled The March of the King. Our plan is to release The March in October, and we're hoping not, not to mix up the two. Update 19 will feature The Last Debate, or Trump versus Sauron, along with the host of the West and its march through North Athelion. The debut of new premium housing on the Cape of Cod, a return to landscape questing versus pure grinding, and a new rotation of featured instances, thank the Lord. North Athelion was none, once known for its gardens, and some called it the prettiest area of Gondor next to the Dead Marshes. Uh, we look forward to telling you more about Update 19 in the coming weeks, and if you believe that, I have a bridge in Kazadoom to sell you. Premium housing brings vastly more street cred, as well as hook points, the ability to own multiple houses while spending unlimited mithril coins, a fully revised housing UI, and more. Current homeowners can continue to enjoy their dwellings, meaning you won't be evicted yet, and we remain committed to supporting classic housing, i.e. shanty towns, in the future. Excitement is rising in the studio along with layoffs as the story progresses towards some very enticing story moments and some very interesting regions. Looking past up to 19, we're looking forward to exploring the foreboding lands of New Jersey, experiencing the Battle of the Black Gate, and perhaps even meeting a very well-known riddle and magical accessories fan, i.e. Harry Potter. We've hinted at the possibility of bringing you to Mordor in a full expansion, and we're still not willing to commit to saying we can actually do it. We're also aiming to address some of the things you've been urging us to work on. Lag in large encounters is a top priority, as well as small and medium encounters, as well as when you're soloing. We're working on changes to the burglar and hunter classes to make them qu not quite so OP, and we are looking to fix more bugs, add some quality of life improvements, and improve some of our festivals to keep them interesting and fun by adding additional deer, teeds for deer deed tiers for consumables. It remains a pleasure to help guide what's left of the Loto team through our journey in Middle-earth, and we look forward to celebrating all things Tokian, unless, of course, our license is revoked. But that's only common sense. Okay, so after our doctored uh, producer's letter, we've got actual release notes from Bullroar. Uh, I just want to, I'm not going to read those. Those are pretty long, but I'm going to touch on a couple points which I found interesting. 
So after the battle, a new day begins. Explore after the battle versions of the Pelennor, Osgiliath, and Crossroads before venturing into the dangerous and overgrown wilderness of North Athelion. Over 85 region quests and deeds included. Okay, this is good. Um, now, I don't go out to Bullroar typically because I have six or seven alts at level cap, and uh, I can't stand to do the content one more time than I'm actually going to have to. Uh, but I did see a couple screen caps of what Esgiliath looks like in the sunshine of a new dawn, of a new dawn, and it is very pretty. So I expect the region to be uh, very pretty as always. Uh, the landscape is always a plus. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of interest there um, from a detailed perspective, lore perspective, aside from being on, you know, having the actual mountains of Mordor uh, on our flank to the east. And seeing the hidden ranger enclave where Faramir uh, captured the, the hobbits and uh, brought them with Gollum. Uh, so those will be the highlights for me that I'll be looking forward to. And uh, one question will be whether or not they will actually um, connect this region up to the region they've already created with the Dead Marshes. Um, I don't think it would be difficult to do so. The question is, is there any value in doing so? Um, since the quests that are in there are obviously at the level that you've created from the Cave of the Avorum, and uh, we won't see the hobbits in there at this stage. So is there value in doing it? I always like when they open up uh, the landscape and connect land masses, so I would encourage them to do so. You know, it's already built out. Just make an instance of it. Even if you just put a couple quests that would send you into there or, you know, you could explore. I don't see the downside, I guess apart from a little bit of effort to make an instance version of it that would connect. So we'll see. Um, 85 region quests sounds about right. I think that's probably about the right the number they had in Far Norian. And uh, what next? Cape of Belfast housing. So here's the big one that took everyone by surprise. Um, not a lot of people saw this coming. You could see that they were, you know, upset they couldn't address housing when they originally wanted to. It was still on the books. Um, they'd probably still done some pre-work around it. So uh, maybe the way they pushed it forward, just a spitball in here, is that they said, you know, if there's a way we can do this and actually turn it into some revenue uh, and include it in the next update, you know, maybe that's what got the go-ahead to go ahead with the effort. Who knows? So they have new premium individual and kin housing available for mithril coins. <laughs> Hook point counts inside and out are more than doubled. Looks like plenty of room to hide all of your to hang all of your crap, even if it'll look terrible. Um, the ones outside are the ones I'm especially excited about because uh, they were very limited in the past. Uh, I always found I had more things I wanted in the lawn rather than in the house. Uh, you can own as many individual premium houses as you want and keep your classic house as long as you're willing to pay for them. Premium upkeep is a wave for VIPs, and that's a big point because I've heard a lot of people complain about the cost of the upkeep for the houses being exorbitant. But I could see a lot of VIPs or lifetime subscribers in my case that might be willing to pay it as a one-time Mithril coin fee, especially if they can buy the Mithril coins with turbo points they have saved from being VIP. Uh, as a one-time purchase if they don't have to pay uh, ongoing housing upkeep. Uh, that might be a pretty good deal for lifetimers. Um, but I can see how that would rub others the wrong way. We're creating an elitist society. Thanks, Robin Leach, for your commentary earlier. It is rather pointed. And uh, that's a downside from my perspective. So hopefully they'll do some price adjustments and make it reasonable. I want them to make some revenue. They need to make some revenue. But they also need to make it reasonable. No one's going to pay. You know, there will be people that pay, unfortunately. But most people won't pay 50 bucks a year or, or whatever it is for a, 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 their own kin island. If you're really, really well organized, you can spread that cost around. But do you really need kin leaders taking on that responsibility? It's just grounds for causing more kin strife. Uh, who paid their dues? Who didn't pay their dues? You know, who contributed to the house? Who didn't? Uh, we don't need that. They can avoid all of it if they just make it a little bit cheaper. Next, Flora Barter System. Gathering Flora yields one of five color items that can be exchanged for various rewards, including boots, legging, armor, gloves, helms, mantle, and more. And I heard them say, I can't see it right now, but somewhere else they said rewards that will be relevant to 2017. So this is interesting to me. This is... Uh, potentially a little bit of a game changer. This says 
you instead of grinding instances for armor or grinding raids for armor um, or even landscape questing to build up tokens in a region for armor, you can just go out and gather flora um, that can be exchanged for wards. Uh, unless these rewards are just cosmetic, it does not say that. But they said it would be relevant to, to 2017, which leads me to believe that they have stats. So that'll be very interesting. They need to be careful how powerful these stats are versus stuff that people grinded featured instances for for weeks and weeks and weeks to accumulate for all their alts. Um, but if they put, you know a flower slot next to an instance slot. And if you got a certain kind of flower, you could, you know, it's kind of like an amphalas, you know, it's kind of like a starlit crystal, right? Put a flower in the hilt and maybe enhance it or something. I don't know. Um, so they need to be a little bit careful about that. Uh, overall burglar damage output's been increased. Yay! Aim now guarantees a critical response. So one of the criticisms I'd heard, uh, even seen articles on on Lotro players previously, Said that uh, you know without with the with the downside of critical responses, um, you know there weren't enough skills to keep your rotation going. That was one of the things hurting the berg. So now aim guarantees a critical response, and the next um, the next enhancement, well practiced, now reduces the cooldown of aim by twenty seconds per rank. Assures you that you can use aim more frequently to unlock those critical chain skills. So that could be potentially very impactful. Uh, I'd still rather they fix fellowship maneuvers, but this is a step in the right direction. Overall, hunter damage has increased. We knew this was coming too. Focus builder skills, moderate damage boost, focus consumers, strong damage boost, split shot, significant damage boost. So um, a good AOE skill, hopefully to keep pace with uh, some of the ones that you get, like for a lore master, you know, March of the Ents or, or Lightning Storm, which can hit you for, you know, 15 to 25k a piece across multiple targets. So hopefully the hunter has something along that lines now that they can rely on to compete as well. Many Bjorning skills now require line of sight. Really don't understand how this is going to impact many people. Unless they turn it from something that's 360 degree into something that's um, a frontal cone or 180 degree, that could have uh, at least a slight impact if that was the case. Um, need more details on that to determine. Featured instances, they are adding Sari Serma, Fornos, Todd Valandel, North Catton Farm, Yobar's Peak. Uh, very glad that they are mixing up the instances. I still think they should have all of these in the rotation at once instead of swapping in five, six at a time. Uh, so that may be a technical limitation. But uh, I'm actually pretty bullish on all of these instances um, and excited for a change. So good, good, good. Featured instances will now drop item level 234 jewelry instead of level 222. So if you're running out of reasons to run featured instances, now you potentially have one again. This is good. There's some festival stuff. There's some housing stuff. There's some LI stuff. Nothing that huge. Oh, by the way, human NPCs now run more naturally and not like they have a stick up their butt, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'll take a look at that. <laughs> Oh, and region and other adventuring areas. Here's an exciting one. Impassable thickets and Tor Druidan now have more branches and trees because more branches and trees is exactly what they needed in Tor Druidan. Good job, guys. Uh, and lastly, the door in the crossing hall of central Gondor, Ethering, now makes a sound when opening and closing. Thanks to Pineley for reporting this crucial issue. And lastly, in the area of travel, Farinorian Mithril travel costs have been reduced, as they do with most regions that are not new. They go from five coins to one, uh, which helps you bring uh, alts through and perhaps accelerate uh, a couple of the trips that are required for that. That's good. And the last thing I did want to note, uh, North Anilian, Athelian Barter. Costs for the raid armor set trade-in have not yet been implemented. No additional barter items are required to trade in your Throne of the Dread Terror raid armor for the Update 19 upgraded versions. This is interesting. So if you have raid armor from Throne of the Dread Terror, apparently in Update 19, you can already upgrade it. Uh, the question is how? By collecting flora? Mm, I really hope not. That uh, Well, they have to give people something to get them to get into the new region, but... Uh, that seems like, you know, the raid armor should 
should be uh, suitable uh, for what they need to do for update 19. I don't. I didn't hear any kind of level cap increase coming. So that's it for the release notes. There is other stuff mixed in and around, uh, not as impactful, but um, all in all, some interesting things. A couple things we got to wait and see how they're going to play out. I am running late. This is a long episode. Let's move on to our final beacon. That's what happens when you store up all that stuff inside. Eventually it goes, explodes. Dwarven ale. Ah, it's time for blessed relief. That brings us to the end of the 57th episode of Light the Beacons here at Halfirian. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at braggsonabalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for agrilicious. On Facebook or Twitter at braggsonofbalan, or my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Please create an iTunes review if perchance you're so inclined, even if you're international. Loved it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin. I am signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time your Throne of the Dead Terror raid armor is instantly obsoleted by collecting daisies, don't despair. Light the beacons. And next week, we will answer... The age-old question, who's buried in the Tomb of Elendil?